0: You're listening to Radio Ed, a University of Denver podcast. We're your hosts, Nicole Militello,
1: Alyssa Hurst,
0: and I'm Lauren Fultzenberg. If you were paying attention to the polls during the 2016 election, I'm betting there's a decent chance you woke up on the morning of November 9th wondering, how did that happen? Polls showed Democrat Hillary Clinton leading all the way through election day. And yet, despite losing the popular vote, Donald Trump became the country's 45th president. So, how did that happen? were we wrong to trust the polls? Floyd Cerulli is a professional pollster and professor at the Joseph Corbell School of International Studies, where he also leads the Crossley Center for Public Opinion Research. Basically, he knows the stuff that makes or breaks elections. And with the 2020 race entering its home stretch, we started by asking him if the recent Republican and Democratic national conventions made any difference to voters.
1: Well, they they have historically moved public opinion. They become increasingly staged because they didn't usually decide anything. They had become media events. Now, of course, they're entirely media events, and uh, the Republican convention was even sort of beyond their media event. It was a Hollywood type of media event. Typically, it moves public opinion. And of course, uh, we're in such a new era between the pandemic and and uh, the, the different uh, the virtual conventions. That it's it's sort of hard to say, but normally Biden would have gotten a, a boost right after the Democratic convention. Uh, he is ahead uh, in uh, uh, polls uh, and it, it it clearly already polls had shown it had strengthened uh, his favorabilities and that was something that was lower because he was less well known and and uh, it obviously helped his vice presidential nominee miss Ms Harris. We haven't seen anything yet on uh, president Trump's but I guess I would be very surprised if the race doesn't narrow some. It was a high-profile, well-designed uh, event It had specific targets, the African-American communities, suburban women, uh, the base, as we call it, the, the, the core Republican voter uh, that he's uh, held on to so well these four years. Uh, and frankly, another reason why it should tighten is that right after uh, Labor Day, the pollsters began changing their technique a bit about half the polls right now uh, have moved from registered voters to likely voters. Well, they will all move to likely voters and voters will sort of be more aware of the campaign. They'll become a little more attentive. They'll also decide a little more firmly as to who they're for. And that would probably help the president in terms of some late decided voters or or some people that weren't happy with them. uh, And he tried to address that during the uh, convention. Why is that
0: distinction between likely voters and registered voters important?
1: Well, it's, uh, you know, it's extremely important. Ultimately, a poll is like a snapshot of a river. Uh, When you take it, it, you've you've got a picture of that river, but it's going to change. Uh, It could get a little higher. It could get lower. Those features you saw there, those rocks and those trees could either become more prominent or disappear. Hence, you have got to have polls right toward the end uh, of an election because there are so many things that are going to change. But your biggest challenge is to try to find out who's going to vote. Your sample uh, ought to be obviously of very, very likely voters. Historically, most likely voters were more Republican. They had higher socioeconomic status. They uh, were better educated, more income, and uh, they tend to be Republican. As you know, that's changed a great deal today, but the rule has been that as you tighten that vote, it should lean just a little bit toward the Republicans, but mostly what you want to be interested in is making sure you've got people that are going to show up on election day, otherwise you're announcing results in uh, October uh, or uh, late September uh, that are uh, of a much more speculative election, and we could be off, you know, three or four percent or more uh, if you don't have a good sense of who the voters are.
0: Right up until the end of the 2016 election, a lot of the polls were showing Hillary Clinton as the likely winner. Uh, so my question is, is twofold. Can you explain what happened in 2016 uh, in regard to the polls and the eventual winner, President Trump? And then were the polls as off as people tend to think they were?
1: Both of those questions go to that, that, that first fundamental question, and then that is, what happened? because definitely something happened. The night after the election uh, four years ago, former Dean Christopher Hill, the ambassador and I, did a program uh, in which 250 people uh, walked in. Number one, they were in a state of shock because they had all listened to the forecast, the polls, the prognosticators, and were certain that Hillary Clinton was going to win. And uh, she didn't. As you implied in your second question, is actually the polls were correct. Uh, They were very right. The problem was that within a normal margin of error, they were just a little bit on the high side. Uh, They said that she was going to win by 3%. She won the national uh, vote by 2%, about 3 million votes. That led almost all of the uh, predictors, when it looked like those polls were holding up at 3%, they got incredibly certain in their forecasts and their predictions. As you know, two things happened. Number one, she came in a little under that. But that wasn't the key thing, because frankly, if you win by two million votes or three million votes, you win. The real problem was in three states, Wisconsin, Michigan and Pennsylvania. Historically, those states had voted. They were called the Blue Wall. They had voted Democratic uh, and suddenly uh, they gave this narrow victory uh, to Donald Trump. That was the problem. And so this year, a a number of things have happened. And number one, there is they've addressed that. They've weighed the data because what they discovered is that in those three states, There were very few polls. They didn't do any late. Late voters uh, came in uh, for Donald Trump hugely, and they missed uh, lesser educated voters. So in those cities, they got too many of the big city voters uh, and not enough of the rural voters and uh, the uh, working class voters. And that was the Trump base. They were just intense for Trump. Uh, They came out sufficiently, uh, and he won. They've addressed that by weighing and doing better sampling this time. But the main thing they've done is if you look at the state polls today, uh, many of them are being done not by local pollsters uh, periodically, but by national polling firms. So uh, NBC, uh, CBS, uh, CNBC, Fox, CNN uh, are doing uh, what I would call gold standard polls. But uh, I guess my sense is that probably what we see today uh, is much more accurate uh, particularly at that, that local level. I think our national polls are just as good as they were. But I think at the local level, the, our, what we're seeing today uh, is much more um, accurate than it was in 2016.
0: So 2016 brought some reforms to the polling industry, it sounds like. What effect do you think it had on the people at home who were reading these polls?
1: Well, I think it, uh, at least initially it was a state of shock and uh, tremendous disbelief. And so I, I, for at least a while, there was a question of the polling business uh, would it sort of survive? But they did. And if anything, you see more polling today. They may, So they made these adjustments. Has the public come to accept it? Well, there's two problems with that. Number one, I think all the public now has a bit of skepticism. For Democrats today, because the polls look like Joe Biden is ahead, they are nervous. Uh, and they are uh, just sitting on the edge of their seats, worried. And Republicans, of course, number one, they're not happy with the polls at the moment, and the president is deliberately telling them they're wrong. He will periodically cite a poll that does come out in his direction, or he will simply say that I have polls uh, that show me ahead, and we're doing quite well here, quite well there. He he sort of cherry-picks his data. I think he understands and his campaign understands He's got a very big problem and he's behind in the polls. He changed campaign managers. Uh, We watch where he's advertising. It's in states that he shouldn't be advertising in if he was very secure, Ohio, Iowa. So my sense is he knows he's behind. But as I say, he's made a a four-year effort At criticizing and trying to take on the credibility of polling, uh, I think to some extent anticipating. And as you know, he's never gotten in his approval rating above maybe about 45%. He's probably about 43, 42% right now. And so knowing that for four years, he spent an incredible amount of time uh, undermining their credibility. But as I say, I think most people still following them closely. I know campaigns are investing their resources based on them they're shifting their messages based on them, they're targeting voters based on them. So the people who really deal with this are a lot more confident than probably your average voter.
0: One of the things that President Trump has liked to say when he's trying to undermine these polls is that there is a silent majority who are not reflected in the polls who will vote for him. And we know that less educated people um, who are less engaged tend to be less likely to respond to polls. Is the silent majority a real phenomenon?
1: We think so. Um, We don't think it is a significant phenomenon, and we don't think it affected 16. A few experiments are being done right now, but I don't know of anyone, both in the industry and in academia, that believe it's affecting the vote right now. It was a phenomenon that we first uh, began seeing in the uh, 1970s and 80s, and it was uh, often there would be a black African-American candidate on the ticket, and Democrats would say they were going to vote for him, and it turned out they didn't. And uh, there was a sense that they were voting politically correctly, and that that is certainly a phenomenon in survey research and in, in sociology in general. But the uh, many experiments were done in 16, and we, we believe that the, the best way to explain this is what I described to you, and that is that we missed voters. We missed those uh, lower, less educated voters. We missed a lot of rural voters outside of the major cities. And th- that phenomena that they are somewhat less likely to answer is true, although so are inner city uh, voters. Many less uh, well-off inner city voters are also uh, like, uh, less likely. And so we have to deal with that phenomenon on both the left and the right. But one reason why we, we uh, some of our experiments, for example, were uh, we did online polling and um, uh, phone polling, And we got uh, about the same numbers.
0: Right. When people might have more anonymity online, they don't have to tell a person who they're voting for. They were still responding the same way.
1: That's right. You're afraid to express that you're a Trump person, uh, for example, if if that's uh, uh, not very popular. The other thing uh, we did, uh, for example, is we noticed that the most likely people to answer socially appropriately were not less educated people, but were better educated people. Those are the people that kind of thought about, well, this is politically incorrect, and maybe I should uh, I socially appropriate an answer. And we've had lots of experiments on that. So we've done a whole series of experiments right after 16 and, and ongoing, because we keep an eye on it, that would explain it. As I said, I think our mistakes were the ones we described, and, and I also think at the moment they have been addressed. We will find some new ones, I'm sure, but I don't think there's a secret vote. The silent majority that he's kind of referring to, which was uh, back in the, uh, the late 60s, uh, Richard Nixon uh, coined the term in a speech in, in uh, 1970. Truly, w- w- when he meant that was that they weren't the people, they weren't demonstrating. They were backing him and he, they were backing the war. And frankly, we picked them up in the polls. So I, I don't think that there is a silent majority out there that is not being picked up in the polls that are suddenly by millions. And we're talking, he needs millions of people. Uh, are going to turn out here.
0: There are all sorts of polls out there that take stock of so many different issues and aspects of a candidate. When we see these things like approval ratings for the president or for Joe Biden, is there any difference between those and the horse race polling on who people are gonna vote for?
1: Well, my sense is that the horse race answers are the most superficial, uh, obviously because of partisanship nowadays, People seem to be very committed, and you know the polls haven't moved in probably four months uh, in terms of the horse race polls. So I tend to look at a variety of other things that we ask. You mentioned approval rating. I think that's important. Uh, the president's approval rating has held up. So it is still at about 43 or, or so percent. It's been up to 45 uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic. I think he got, he was judged as not doing very well. It went down, uh, is now kind of recovered. Hence, I think personally that there is a floor under him, and he is still going to be, if he can think about or find a way to jump up, uh, and obviously he tried very hard in the convention, I don't rule out that he could win this race. Uh, I think it would be a very narrow win, uh, and maybe like last time, he loses the popular vote, uh, maybe even substantially, and he still wins in um, uh, electoral votes, which, as you know, is one reason why we think it might be a very long uh, election night or maybe next month. It may take a while to settle this. I also look at, for example, right now, uh, people's uh, satisfaction with the country. We call it right direction and wrong direction. It is incredibly low. Uh, So that's been really important. Only about a quarter of the public likes the direction we're going in. And I think that weighs down on an incumbent like the president. I think that's something that's been his problem. So that even before Joe Biden was nominated or well-known as, as he appears to be now, uh, he still was eight, 10 points ahead. And I think that was a reflection of the fact uh, that people are not happy. And the, the three most important questions that we've been looking at uh, in the last uh, uh, three months are no, number one, uh, how do you think the pandemic is going? COVID-19, how's that being handled? How's the president handling? What directions are going? He has, he has not done well on that. Uh, What about race relations, the Black Lives Matter movement? On that one, he has not done well up to this point. Obviously, he emphasized that very strongly in the convention. He's hoping that uh, the uh, outbreak of violence uh, nourished his benefit through uh, his law and order message. And finally, it's been the economy, which he was going to run on. He was going to win on the economy, and he has been judged increasingly sort of he's now competitive with Joe uh, Biden, and he had really won that. For uh, the you know probably the last half of his administration, and he was hoping to run on it completely. So as you can see, it's it's really you kind of look at a uh, a basket of questions: what's moving the electorate, uh, what's what's affecting public opinion. To just look at the racehorse question, I think it gives you a, a, a quick snapshot. Uh, it can change, and it doesn't necessarily uh, tell you why.
0: I've been especially interested in those issue polls lately about COVID nineteen or about defunding the police or police reform, is there any sort of reflective effect that we see where, for example, somebody sees that 80 or 90% of people support an issue or a reform, and then that makes them more likely to get with the program, so to speak?
1: Uh, Yes. A couple of examples are, um, in my opinion, the uh, slow, at first, and then very rapid acceptance of the legalization of marijuana polling had a strong effect on that Uh, it had been at the 10 or 20 percent acceptance of legalization and then in the early uh, uh, 2000s uh, began to jump i think the politicians saw that they endorsed it and uh, it it, uh, surged forward gay rights is another one moved very, very slowly and finally, uh, again, uh, was endorsed by uh, major politicians and is now uh, uh, through court cases, but also lots of legislation uh, been uh, legalized in terms of gay marriage. And polling tremendously helped because what you saw as as a citizen is that there are a lot of people that uh, uh, either agree with me or don't agree with me. Look at the direction it's moving. It's the trend, that, and people start saying, "Wow, that's really becoming much more acceptable." In um, in the Black Lives Matter movement, for example, I was frankly surprised right after the uh, the first incident uh, with Floyd uh, that that uh, he was uh, that it was uh, the Black Lives Matter movement was so popular. It had not been popular, and suddenly it became popular. And I think a lot of people saw that and said, "Whoa." It kind of fit in with their sense of that was unjust and there are justice problems in our society we have to address that but it also once you approved it uh, people were not in favor of defunding the police people were very concerned about the uh, protest turning to violence but they were incredibly supportive of uh, police reform accountability a host of things which we in fact passed in colorado very quickly in our legislature So what the poll showed uh, for policymakers and decision makers and for the media and the public in general is that um, uh, there was a a direction there in terms of social justice, but within it, there were some distinctions being made on uh, policy outcomes, for example, uh, defunding the police, uh, which was not popular. And as you can see, uh, it it hasn't made much uh, progress in a Needless to say, polls not only affect people who, uh, the, the average voter who looks at them, and it, it can kind of, it can cause a bit of a bandwagon, although today we find that people are so uh, committed to their partisan positions or so dislike the other party that they they are not moving very much. There are not a lot of, quote, undecided voters. Uh, there are probably a few weakly decided voters that, that need to be shored up uh, for these candidates. But what we do find is that the... Um, that the campaigns and the politicians and the decision makers, uh, they will follow the polls, and they begin shifting their advertising. They begin targeting different voters. They begin shifting their messages, and consequently, they help create a bandwagon uh, effect to a larger extent. They recognize that where we're where we're falling down or or where we're making headway, and uh, they begin uh, shifting their uh, their viewpoints. The Republican Party, for example, historically was not a party that was very favorable toward Russia. Uh, It's gotten a lot more favorable toward Russia in the last four years. That is showing, in my view, uh, the influence of a president being able to affect public opinion. Um, So public opinion moves, it can be moved by polls, but mainly it's moved, I think, by politicians and issue advocates using polls and saying, Now's the time to move gay rights forward. Now's the time to get some police reform or to legalize marijuana. Let's put it on the ballot. Uh, Let's get people talking about it.
0: This is not exactly a scientific observation from me, but it seems that every issue, every supposed fact can be interpreted so many ways. So I want to ask you about how to read polls. Um, and, And just to give an example, I read an article on CNN that talked about Joe Biden getting a bump from his convention, but not based on actual poll numbers, but more on favorability ratings. And then the Wall Street Journal, on the other hand, I read an article that said Donald Trump was behind Biden, but said he's gotten increased favorability, which that's a bright spot. Uh, so there's different ways of framing these things. What advice would you have for people as they're reading polls?
1: Well, I think to just keep exactly in mind what you said, and that is, uh, uh, obviously, pollsters uh, interpret them, their clients, uh, typically the media, or often the media with, for these national public opinion polls, whether it's Fox News or CNN or MSNBC, uh, the Wall Street Journal, etc. Uh, I think the science of, these, uh, of the major pollsters is very, very good. Uh, I think they don't want to be wrong. I know I probably worry more about being wrong than I worry about the result. I'll live with the result. i want to get it right and not mislead people and uh, uh, make sure that uh, the the reputation of the of a client and, and my own um, uh, reputation is uh, is credible and um, that's extremely important to all these folks so i I'm comfortable with that. but I think your framing is the uh, the uh, the right question the the particular piece you were talking about is that post these uh, two conventions number one there hasn't been any movement and there's not enough time you really have to wait till probably after uh, five or seven eight ten days uh, to get an entire round of polling out there uh, to get the media to to chew on this for a couple of weekends uh, all the uh, commentators and newscasts and then you'll take a look at the polls and say has this race tightened has it moved And favorability is uh, not a bad proxy measure, but Biden's favorability improving will, it may not lead to an improvement in a poll. He might not go from uh, his 48% to uh, 50%, but it probably strengthens that 48%, uh, 49%, whatever he has right now. And the same way with uh, Trump. What we know about Trump is that the reason why he's in so much trouble is people don't like his personality. Uh, they don't like his tweeting, his uh, his uh, brusque manner, uh, his uh, endless harsh criticism. And and while obviously that 72-minute speech uh, the other night uh, had a lot of uh, criticism in it, it also had a lot of visuals dedicated to uh, uh, bringing him close to Americana. And so that's good for him. If he can improve his his favorability a little bit, uh, when the next time Matt poll is done right after Labor Day or those results, they should be a lot better.
0: You are a pollster, of course, but you're also a political analyst. And you had mentioned polls on the direction that the country is going. I'm wondering if there are any conclusions that you can draw from recent polls about the state of our country today.
1: Definitely, the state of our politics uh, is, I would say, not good. Polarization in general means that that, uh, very little is getting done in Washington. We're not solving problems. People are getting increasingly dissatisfied with their politicians and with our institutions. Historically, we have looked at democracy as we can bring in new leaders, we can change things. And increasingly the public is getting skeptical of that. Uh, They're getting uh, cynical uh, that it works at all. And uh, that is a problem for democracy. I think that uh, particularly in a world in which China, uh, uh, Russia are uh, very authoritarian they are asserting themselves they're doing it online they may be even affecting our election uh, in a negative way uh, trying to build up and ferment dissent so i would say the state of our democracy today uh, is not good frankly i think the state of democracy worldwide uh, is fragile and, and in a weak spot and i would hope my goal is that we will get out of this election and try and find, if possible, a bit of common ground. I don't wanna be Pollyannish or, or too optimistic because I know how difficult that'll be, but I do think there are some, some common values that we have. And if we have the right leadership and that'll take not just one individual, but a, a host of people trying to uh, uh, redirect us, I, I think uh, we have a hope.
0: For a deeper look at where the presidential election stands today and what election night might look like, Ceruli is hosting a virtual discussion September 1st. The details are on our website, du.edu radioed. And if you miss it, we'll post the video under our show notes, where you'll also find trusted up-to-the-minute presidential polls. Alyssa Hurst is our executive producer. Tamara Chapman is our managing editor. James Swearingen arranged our theme. I'm Lauren Fultenberg, and this is Radio Ed.